0: So we mm-hmm. thought about how can we make these, you know, excess inventory sellable again and really like make them stylish for the pandemic times. So we took their pants and turned them into shorts. We took their blazers and turned them into something less constructed. And we did that with their like five um, bestseller pieces. So that's kind of speaks to, you know, like the level of customization will go to really like work with the retailers. but. The very beginning, you know, go-to-market phase with the retailers will probably be a more about like, hey, let's pick one of these three so we can really deliver the quality first, and yeah. then we can grow into a much bigger brand partnerships afterwards.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ops Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast interview. Um, I am happy to meet Alison Lee today. Hi, Alison.
0: Hi, how are you Hi. doing today?
1: Great to have you here. Thanks for joining. Um, Alison, you have a really great um, service. Uh, it's called Hamster. Um, tell us a bit more about that and about um, yourself.
0: Yeah, well, so I started Hamster about uh, six years ago now, but basically what Hempster does is we're a tech-enabled, tailoring service plugged into a B2B2C model, meaning that you know we work with brands like Verity, MMO Floor a day, um, and we basically allow them to offer virtual and in-store alterations to their shoppers to so help them sell more and return less. And we also um, save those measurements for individual customers so they can reuse that data set, um, for anything that's in their closet right now.
1: Oh, wow. That's really a nice service for, for, uh, for clothing, uh, stores. Um, how did you get into that? How did you get into e-commerce?
0: Yeah. So, um, my background, um, is always in like the tech product and like data science, you know, we didn't necessarily like think about like e-com as, you know, my biggest passion, but, you know, I think I'm really interested in like the consumer behavior and how to think about um, getting the data fully ingested from that, especially around like the fit and sizes. So, you know, when you think about, you know, something not fitting you, I think it's more of an acute pain point when you're buying something online, just because you're relying on these like obscure measurements on the size charts to kind of like guesstimate your closest size so you know we thought that like that pain point would be um big enough for us to really go into the market
1: Mm -hmm. okay and um i've seen you you have a platform specific api that Mm -hmm. integrates with other services how does this work how how can i um make use of something like this or or how would the service at all work for me as if I'm uh, uh, a store owner?
0: Yeah. So, you know, we basically looked at like the brands and retailers and, you know, a lot of them are on either Shopify or Magento and they have a very specific Um, templates of their front end and back end um, from like the order management system. So yeah, we basically built a Shopify app um, that uh, that gets installed into your current order management system to be able to show tailoring options to your shoppers as they're picking a size. And also it adds our fit kit into your packages from like a 3PL perspective. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's both like a front end and the back end but it's really done through like the app itself. So, you know, the installment only takes about 20 minutes from uh, the retailers and like the brand side.
1: Oh, wow. So very easy and fast to implement. Um, Yeah. And you're offering a free tailoring from your favorite brands. So how, actually, how does this work? Do you you call customers? Do they type in some measurements and you calculate everything? Or how, how does it work? Yeah, them. so
0: um, we basically put in this like one sheet of paper that has the roller stickers printed on them. And then that's the one the customers will use either to fit themselves if it's like a really easy like denim fit or if it's something more complicated, they can meet with our virtual fitters. And our fitters will basically guide them through um, how to mark their garments for their perfect fit.
1: Okay, okay. Um, so, so when someone sets up their profile on Hamster, they are asked to answer some questions, as I understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what kind of research went into the development? Um, how, how did you um, create the content of this survey?
0: Yeah, so, you know, we basically want to be able to answer some of, like, our fit preference questions that we would ask in uh, during our fittings. So, you know, we basically... Um, have done about five thousand fittings um, at mm-hmm. this point, and I think from there we can probably we can basically distill it down to ten like very important questions about how do you like to wear this specific garment? Because you know you and I could have like exact same body measurements, but you know what if you like to wear things loose and I like to wear things tight? So that's kind of like the preferential data that we're trying to get at um, through the surveys and through the interaction with our fitters.
1: Yeah, um, I, I can I can assume that um, there are maybe many people that are that are uncertain about uh, the virtual aspect of a tailoring service. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you tell them?
0: Yeah, well, it's two things. You know, um, I think you already know what fits you really well. So um, all we're doing is kind of like asking very standardized questions from our, uh, our side for you to answer those for us to accurately measure and tailor them uh, virtually. So our accuracy rate is about 99.4%, um, which means only 0.6% of our orders get complained on. Um, so I think that's way higher accuracy rate than even in-person tailoring. So I think, you know, data really powers and you know delivers our accuracy and quality
1: from afar. Mm-hmm. And, uh- what I have seen uh, on your website, I'm, I'm currently looking at the website because you have very famous brands um, on the website mm-hmm. uh, like Reformation or A-Day. Um, what was the process like uh, getting, them, getting them on board? How did you win them?
0: Yeah, um, I think, you know, when you think about like brand partnerships, you know, you want to understand what is their pain points that you're trying to solve through your technology too. So, you know, for us, um, we knew that, you know, we could increase like the fitting room conversions in the stores if they just had offered very basic alterations for free. Yeah. Um, and we have that case study from so many different brands um, who's basically used us from uh, the day one. And then for the e-com side, like we know that like the return rate is such a huge problem in all of online retailers. So we really thought about how can we lower that, you know, returns by offering again basic alterations um, as a viable option above returns? So, you know, mm-hmm. when you understand, I think their retailers' um, pain points, and you can kind of answer to those with your technology. Like the, the conversation becomes a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely understand that. Um, what what are the typically return rates um, at the moment for 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 clothing?
0: Yeah. So for e-commerce, I mean, we hear a pretty broad spectrum, um, especially, you know, when we're consulting with the retailers, like the lowest we've heard was probably like 15% from mm, an e-com. That's really, but we, yeah. Really
1: yeah but we've
0: heard as like high as like 68% yeah, of yeah. a return rate. So I think it really just depends. Like if you're Um, if your merchandise mix is, um, kind of closer to something that talks about fit a little bit less, like, you know, like streetwear and, um, like the joggers, I think they tend to have like a little bit lower return rate, but if you are trying to, you know, sell something more constructed, like anything around like the blazers or even premium denim, like their return rate can be quite high.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. Absolutely. Because uh, also, I think the price is is, is relevant um, in in that case. So if you have something Mm -hmm. that is more expensive, um, you're most likely not um, happy when it's not a perfect fit, I think.
0: Right, exactly. And also, I think um, that's part of the retailers why they choose to work with us is because they want to really drive like the full um, price sales. And, you know, when you're committing to like a full price um, purchase. I think from the consumers, they they want to be really confident in choosing the right fit and size and like seeing that, oh, actually tailoring is included for this $400 dress that I really want to buy for my wedding or whatever it may be. um, That basically lifts their conversion from the get-go. And of course, you know, we everything that we touch from Hempster's side becomes the final sale for the brand. So that is also just like an added bonus for them.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's a great idea. Um coming back to the brands again, um what I'm wondering, um what what is important when you when you partner with different brands? Is there any um blueprint that you that you follow um on on how to partner with them? Do you have specific contracts to to fill out or is it uh, uh, yeah. uh yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, we Probably have like three separate like product suites that we try to, you know, start our retailers on. So um, it really depends on their own KPI. So they say they, they're they really focusing on their store services right now that we would start them off with our, our retail core service. Or if they're like, hey, I really want to figure out this conversion thing on our e-com site, then we would um, get them started with like, you know, implementing Hamster Banner on their PDPs. And if they're really worried about their return rate, then we would um, start with the return interceptor, which is you know basically offering tailoring as like a viable option to choose above returns. Um, so those are like our three major like pushes with the retailers, and of course, like with time, you know, we will try to customize our growth plan with the retailers as much as possible. So um, they may start with one of the three, um, but a lot of our retailers end up you know, expanding their services into multiple of our offerings and or like create their own. So the brands like a day, we just launched this really amazing collection with them called Made Again. Um, and that's not necessarily we would pitch to the first time uh, retailers. But what we have done is, you know, after we have implemented our e-com return interceptor services, we noticed that, you know, they had a lot of leftover inventory impacted by COVID. Um, so we mm-hmm. thought about how can we make these, you know, excess inventory sellable again and really like, um, make them stylish for the pandemic times. So we took their pants and turned them into shorts. We took their blazers and turned them into something less constructed. Um, and we did that with their like five on um, bestseller pieces. So that's, kind of speaks to, you know, like the level of customization will go to really like work with the retailers. But the very beginning, you know, go-to-market phase with the retailers will probably be a more about like, hey, let's pick one of these three so we can really deliver the quality first. And yeah. then we can grow into a much bigger um, brand
1: partnerships afterwards. Got it. Got it. Well, great strategy. Absolutely. Um, I've seen that you launched your first startup, uh, while you've been in college at Berkeley. Um, what yeah. did you learn from that experience?
0: Um, I mean, first I think startup, that was probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my very first startup. It was. I think it's almost an overstatement to call it a startup. Let's just call it a really like nice pet project that you know some of us were working on. Um, I mean, I really loved the experience, right? You know, it got it allowed. To me, to be really like creative about my um, way of thinking about product and technology, and how do I apply that into the, uh, you know day to day lives? And I hadn't really done that, or I didn't really have that kind of exposure to technology uh, in the previous years. So I think that did open up my eyes to think about, oh my gosh, this is really fun! Like, can I actually do this? You know, after I graduate, um, and It's really funny because four of us who worked on those projects, um, we all went on to become founders in some shape or form. I I think two of them actually started a company together and they just became a unicorn. And then I'm doing this. And then the fourth person um, was also starting a company last time I talked to him. So I think, you know, just like the early exposure to um, thinking that this could be a possibility for me is really powerful and, I'm really appreciative that, you know, I had friends like that in college who were willing to start something kind of dumb, but, you know, failed together and just like have a really great time in that journey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Have a great time is is always, I think, the most important thing when you go through um, uh, through, through just uh, such an experience um, together. And did you learn something from there? Did it help you uh, with your company now?
0: Um, I mean, I think a lot of it was more qualitative. You know, I think a lot of the learnings I had in between the first uh, startup and then, you know, the fact that I went to work for a lot of like much bigger startups um, as my first, you know, career choice. And then finally going back to Amsterdam, really starting from like ground zero, that's really um, shown me a lot of different um stages of a company. So, you know, obviously like we started to we tried to start something from zero and it was really hard. And then I went to go see something where they were about to IPO. Um, mm-hmm. and that felt like a really, really well-oiled machine. And I understood like the chaos that came with that scale. And then I went back to like about Series C company, and that's where I really found my sweet spot of like, okay, this is what, um, it's early stage enough, but I really understood like what the growth could look like for, you know, that unrealized potential. So that's what got me really excited. And then that's where I learned probably the most tactical skills on Mm -hmm. actually how to, uh, grow and scale your B2B2C model. So Mm. yeah, then that probably took all together from my very first one to you know when I decided to go for it it was maybe like a seven year journey. Um and then afterwards I was like, okay, I think I know enough to fail again, but at least this time I think I have a better chance. And I didn't really start this to um make it big or anything. You know, this was again my like pet project. I was really passionate about like the idea of the perfect fit. And I thought that I could really bring the accuracy that the fit profiles deserve. So, you know, that's what the idea consumes you first. And then um, it's been five years since then too. So hopefully, you know, I can continue on this journey and really continue to grow the company as well.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, Are there any big mistakes that you see typically from uh, online retailers?
0: Um. I think I don't want to call them mistakes because, you know, I think they are really trying to do their best at bringing the best possible
1: merchandise
0: to their shoppers. And I think there is a lot happening um, around, especially through like pandemic times, like so much has like changed. And I think the biggest thing I've seen is how how much do you embrace change, you know, and how much are you willing to try something new um, and follow up with it in a methodical way where like a pilot turns into like a full-blown like new initiative. And I think when you are really busy doing your core um, functionalities as a retailer, those new like R&D or like new initiatives tend to not happen. And I think that's where you could potentially miss out on the innovation side and like what's next in retail and always keeping, you know, their eyes and ears open on the new opportunities that way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is there any specific thing that you would recommend for for, uh, as a quick win to online retailers? What could they do to improve the growth or to make something better for their customer experience?
0: Yeah, so uh, I think kind of making sure you have enough data on the customers so you can track their journey is important. You know, very often we talk to, you know, our potential partners and we ask them like, do you know, you know, why people are not buying? Or do you know why people are returning? Because, you know, if you knew that, you know, 30% of people were returning because of the fit issues, then I know I can address that. But I think a lot of the times they're like, actually, I'm not sure. And that's where it becomes even hard for me as a vendor to really help them think about the creative solutions to help them fix these customer issues too. So I think there's a lot of, you know, specialized tools like Zendesk to really help with your customer experience. Is that tied back to your CRM and is that tied back to your, you know, overall marketing strategies? Um, you know, that's where I see a little bit of uh, disconnect, especially for, um surprisingly especially if it's like a smaller company who where like one person is trying to do it all and you just don't have time to you know connect the dots sometimes so i think definitely the biggest thing is knowing what the customers are excited and frustrated about um in their shopping experience with your platform and once you know that like fixing it is a much easier part but i often find that they don't necessarily know the full root cause, um, or they're talking about three separate problems, but they would boil down into one main core problem. So just doing that exercise of like, what actually is the big problem here and really, um, setting up some milestones to fix that will, um, yeah, bring a lot of clarity into business.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's really cool. Um, What role does automation play in your operations?
0: Um, Alteration, uh, how we think about it, is um, it's means to an end. You know, like our our data science is like what really fuels our growth. Um, Our warehouse basically breaks down the traditional tailoring into six different stations and surprisingly, tailoring is only one of those stations. Rest of the stations are obviously inbound, outbound, uh, quality control, but two of the six stations are dedicated to making sure our data is right. So, um, you know, I think that kind of speaks to how we think about, like, the tailoring as a tool, um, which is really important to us, but at the end of the day, like, the technology and the data is where we are really leaning heavily towards to um, fulfill our um, orders, but also grow forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And what what um, will you be focused uh, in on the rest of this year? It's yeah short Christmas season coming.
0: I know the holidays are you know right around the corner. So right now we are you know working with a lot of our brands on like their holiday marketing and like making sure we have enough capacity to like you know cover for that you know growth for holiday rush. Um, We're already seeing a ton of like fall growth happening from our brand partners, which is really exciting. So we really think it's going to be a big um, Q4 for the retailers, especially in fashion and apparel. So yeah, we're just um, bracing ourselves for that growth. And then next year, um, we're launching some like really amazing initiatives. But Q4 is all going to be, can we make sure, you know, we can keep up with the growth right now?
1: yeah I think that that this year again, um, online still is uh, booming, boosting um, since many, many years. Um, it's growing, and Corona made uh, another really big boost. I think we we won years in in uh, digitalization um, w- with that. So even if it's of course the baddest thing that could happen to have a pandemic uh, for digitalization, it was a huge boost. I think, and and yeah, it's doing totally. a lot online. Yeah. Last question for the day, um, Alino, um, Who has told you the most about e-commerce in your career?
0: We lean heavily on um, our advisors. So um, yeah. one of our advisor, he has a very extensive knowledge, not just in like the business side of e-commerce, but um, he's done so many different different types of implementations from like the, the the digital transformation side. His name is Scott Locks. He was the head of digital at so many different brands like Alice and Olivia, Intermix. Um, I think he was at Vince for a second as well. So um, he fully understands like, you know, back and forth of like what the e-commerce integration could look like for vendors like me, but also for the brands themselves. So yeah, awesome. um, I, I would say, He's been the most helpful when it comes to like us understanding like all the nooks and crannies of um, how to make sure we can really fit into this ecosystem.
1: Okay, got it. Thank you so much, Alison. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Um, and um, what I heard today, uh, we, we heard it so often already, and I think it's really so important for every e-commerce store owner, have your data, know your customer, yeah? know what mm-hmm. they like, know what they dislike and these are the basics to improve thank you very much good luck with hamster um, and have a great rest of the year with a huge boost
0: (laughs) thank you so much it was a pleasure being here
1: you're welcome bye-bye and that's it for this episode of the ecom ops podcast If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for EcomOps Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app, and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.